0: When is the last time, if you just think in your mind, when you have kind of desperately or really passionately prayed for somebody else? Can you think about a scenario recently where the situation might be rough, scary, dangerous, but you have been moved to pray for others? Sickness, loss, tragedy, or they're just they're just lost and they need direction and Maybe you are not a praying person yet, and that's, that's a stretch for you. But we are talking about this. We're in this series called Greater Than, and we are looking at the book of Colossians. And this is a letter written by Paul, the famous Apostle Paul, a letter that he wrote to a group of people in a particular place because he was so passionate about them knowing God and about them getting it right. Because there was confusion in in that day. They had been exposed, these people in Colossae, they had been exposed to the truth of Jesus. They had heard the message, and they had believed, and yet there were these other things that were kind of mixing them up and getting in the way. There were were other people teaching different kind of interpretations, different ways of, of going about life, and they were getting mixed up and getting off track. And so Paul writes them a letter. When you look at the book of Colossians, you need to understand, if, this is a great opportunity to get, your know, get to know your Bible a little bit. It's a small book. It's a short book. You can read through it with us in these next few weeks. It is a letter to a group of people like you and I. Colossae was a small, I mean, it was a you know, medium-sized town, and there was a church in Colossae that was probably about 40 or 50 people. They met in a house. They met in someone's house. There was someone in the group that had a nice house, and they welcomed in the rest of the church, and they met there regularly. And so Paul hears about them. He hasn't met them. He hears about them, and he hears from someone else who has come and visited and and is bringing the word about this group that they believe... And yet they're being confused by these other opinions, these other things going on in culture. Do you know anything about that? Do you know anything about being in a culture that can confuse? That There, there are voices in culture. There are other things that pull for our attention that get us, can, can get us off track a little bit and make us wonder if we're thinking about this God thing in our, in our walk with him, if we're thinking about it right. And so Paul is concerned about this group, and he writes them this letter. Get this. From prison. The dude is in prison. He's in jail. He doesn't know if he's going to survive the next day, let alone how long he will live. But he's not praying, begging God for himself. He's praying for this group of people. He is passionate about them understanding who God is and living a life that is meaningful and powerful. And he cares that much that he's begging God on behalf of these people. And so he writes them this letter. Now, before we get into it, I had a friend this week who, she, uh, it's a friend of Hillary and mine, and she said, she pulled me aside and just said, hey, I've got, you know, we've been hearing about Jesus and I've been coming on Sunday, and, but I haven't jumped in fully to this faith thing. And I haven't jumped in completely because I, I'm scared because I know that I can't be perfect going forward. Like, like if I believe this stuff, if I say, yeah, I'm going to live my life for Jesus, I'm nervous that I can't sustain it. I'm nervous that I can't keep living this way. I know I'm going to screw up still, basically. I know I'm going to get mixed up. I know I'm going to make bad decisions. And so I'm reluctant to, to commit to this thing, right? I mean, we get that, right? because I screwed up, you know, not just recently, like today, and like I will continue to. We get that. We know. And so I had the privilege of sharing with this person that that's, that's why you should fully commit. That's why you should jump in on this, because it's only through Jesus that we have a way, despite the fact that we will continue to mess up in our lives, but that is the kind of little tweak in our minds that we, we might have the wrong view of this God, of his story. We might be off just a little bit like she was, just, just so nervous about, can I, can I reach out and commit because I know I'm going to fail. And so Paul, to people like that who are on the right track but they're just getting distracted, he writes this letter. And we're going to start the very first. We don't have these words on the screen. It's just the very first little introductory piece of this letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He refers to them as brothers and sisters, like a family. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father. So Paul is saying, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am speaking to you. On behalf of God, He has shared these things with me. I am passing them along to you because I care deeply about you being on this right track, being, you know, having this North star, having this clear path. I don't want you to have the mixture, the confusion, confusion the extra stuff that we can get distracted by in our culture. So he's giving them this letter to get them to get them straight and to get them on this path. So for me, in your, in your outlines, if you pull out your outline, I put the subheader there, a pastor's prayer, because I want you to, to know that I've been praying this prayer for you. You might not care, but I ha- I, you know, this week I have been praying this prayer for you every day. I, ha- I have been asking God these same things. As Paul prays for this church in Colossae, we have been, as a leadership, and me per- in particular, praying this prayer over you. So the next few verses, is he talks, Paul talks about always being thankful. He's thankful for them all the time. And then in verse 9, he says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. It's this continual thing. God has them on Paul's heart, and he keeps praying. He cares deeply about them. Remember, parentheses, despite the fact that he's in jail You know, his circumstances are not great, and yet he's thinking about them and praying for them continually. And he says, we continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's a good thing. We want that, right? The knowledge of God's will, God's will in general, God's will for our life, for today, for tomorrow praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, wisdom, and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. We want to please God, right? And this is how, by bearing fruit in every good work, knowing the knowledge of, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father." Okay, now get this. Who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light? So this is our first glimpse of something that God has done. A reason why we are living this way. Why, a reason why we can bear fruit. A reason why we can be joyful and give thanks. Because he has qualified you who believe. He has qualified you. He has made you acceptable and then get this, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, before we go on, I want to talk to you about the Lakers. So, because we're, you know, we're certainly not going to talk about the Trojans. Uh, so, the... the the, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers have an interesting season coming up, right? Now, I was born in Phoenix. I was born in Phoenix, and my parents were, grew up there. They went to the same high school, the whole deal. And so because my dad grew up in Phoenix, he, one of his good friends was a guy named Alvin Adams. He is a uh, you know, pretty big-time basketball player in his day. He played 15 years with the Phoenix Suns, has a bunch of their records. And when he retired, he went to work for the Suns, and he manages still their arena, so he manages the Phoenix Suns arena and so one of the cool perks about, you know, being my dad and friends is we got a tour of the arena when it was first built way back when we were kids. When it was built, it was the first professional basketball arena to also have a practice gym attached to it. So that was a cool thing. I remember walking around, seeing the practice gym, j- jumping up, slapping my hand on the backboard, feeling tough, and uh, then going into the locker room, noticing that the urinals were unusually high. Uh, and that the shower heads were unusually high, and thinking, you know what, these guys are big guys. Got to meet a few of the players. So I grew up a Suns fan. Even when we moved to L.A., you know, I still stayed a Suns fan. Now, if you know anything about the Phoenix Suns the last 10 years, you know that if you were a Suns fan, you are a Steve Nash fan, because Steve Nash embodies anything good about the Suns for the last 10 years. So imagine my conflict and dismay when... Steve Nash, this past off-season, gets a phone call from his agent and says, Steve, we're working out a deal to trade you to the Los Angeles Lakers. And he, you know, Steve is conflicted because he's been in Phoenix. He's been the guy. And now to move at the end of his, the twilight of his career to Los Angeles, the enemy, right, and, and play for them. But he did it. And he said yes. Now get this. When he said yes, they faxed him or emailed him or, you know, drove him a copy of the contract and he put his pen to it and he signed his name to this contract now even though he was still in his house in paradise valley arizona not that i stalk him i just know you know he happened to live in Paradise valley arizona even though he was still there and he's signing this contract he in that moment became a los angeles laker in that moment he shifted from being a son to a laker from the Phoenix Suns to the Los Angeles Lakers. What we just read is that, you know, that he, that Jesus transfers us from the dominion of darkness and into the, into the one that he brought us into. Another translation for that is literally transferred or traded. So I think, of, I think of Steve Nash in that moment being traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now his professional identity instantly changes. He is no longer a Phoenix Sun. He is a Los Angeles Laker, for better or for worse, right? And so he shows up in Los Angeles in the Staples Center, and he walks into the locker room, and he's got a locker in the Staples Center, and he has a jersey, And warm-ups and everything that he puts on. And I imagine that they're big because he is a regular-sized dude. You know, he's an average guy, and he is putting on these clothes. And now he has Lakers on his back, purple and gold. He has a new playbook that he's running. He is passing to new players. So imagine, if you will, Steve, in their first road trip, they go back to Phoenix, and he walks into his old arena. Now he might, there might be some part of him, if, if he just is in the in the, mom, in the moment and caught up in it, he might turn right instead of left and go into his old locker room as a hometown player of the Phoenix Suns, right? That's reasonable to think, he's just not even realizing it, but he just turns and goes into the old locker. But imagine if he's on the court and he sees his old buddies and he starts passing to his old teammates, right? That would not go well for the Los Angeles Lakers, they would be frustrated with that. Or if he, you know, saw his old jerseys, I just want to put this thing on again, this feels good. Or if he starts running the old plays from the old playbook, right? No, because he is a Los Angeles Laker. That transfer has occurred. He has been brought from this team to the other team. The switch has been made. He signed on the line, and in that moment, he became a Los Angeles Laker. He was no longer a Phoenix Sun. Similarly, the moment that you and I trust Jesus... In that instant, God takes us and transfers us from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. I'm saying nothing about, you know, the Suns and the Lakers in that example. Every example breaks down as somewhere, you know what I mean? But he transfers us into, from the darkness into the light in that moment when we say yes. It is done. You sign. It is over. But as human beings, we have a tendency... To, to get caught up in our old ways, right? There, there, we lived a certain way for a long time. We developed patterns. We developed habits and friends. And it's easy, even though our identity has changed, the moment that you believe and say yes to Jesus, even though our identity has changed, we can still go backwards because we have to unlearn some old behaviors, right? We have to unlearn some old ways of doing things. And there might still be this pull to this comfort place, to this other place that we know pretty well, Even though we're no longer there, we're no longer in the darkness, God has brought us into the light, but we need to be reminded regularly that there is this new playbook, there is this new way, there is this new team we're a part of, and it's God who makes all this possible. We're living for him now. So that is the the situation we find ourselves in. that is why Paul is writing this letter, because he's saying, you have been justified, you have been bought, you have been transferred and yet still, here's how you want to live. And the way he tells them to live is by focusing on Jesus. The, next, the rest of this chapter, he is telling them who Jesus is because he believes that as we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, that the rest of the stuff in life just kind of disappears. It becomes less important. The more we focus on, G- on this path, on him, on what he has for us, the other things that distract and that pull, they just lose their power right? And so here we go. We keep going. In verse 15, it says, he's, t- he's telling us who this Jesus is. And the first thing he points out is that Jesus makes God known. In verse 15, he says, the Son is the, is the image, so the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you have wondered, what is this God like? What is this mysterious creator God like? You can know that he is Jesus. That Jesus is that visible image. That Jesus is this God. He took the mystery and the unknowableness of God and made it pretty simple for us. He came in flesh. He put on flesh so that we could understand this is God. He walked around and showed us his heart by how he loved so that we would go from this kind of, big, vast, cosmic, incomprehensible view of God to this personal, understandable, human, relatable God. So he is, first and foremost, right here, he is the visible image of the invisible God. So some people say, no, well, Jesus, you know, he's a good teacher, or he was a, he was a prophet. Like, he said some good things. I put him right up there with Confucius. Yeah, he, knows, he knew some stuff. That's not an option, That's not an option for who God is. The Bible says, and Jesus said himself, that he is God. That makes him either a flat-out liar or a crazy person, right? Because you can't say that you're God and be a good teacher. The Bible says that this was God in human flesh, that he gives us the visible expression of of who God is. The second thing he does is he created all things. That's who this Jesus is. He created all things. In verse 16 it says, For in him all things were created, things in in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is crazy too, right? So he was there in the very beginning, He was the creative source. So the creator steps down and walks on his creation. The the one who invented humanity puts on skin himself and says, here, I'll show you who God is. Let Let me help this come together for you. And he put on flesh and walked on the creation that he had designed And he came humbly as a baby, even though the Bible says he is over all rulers and all authorities. The next thing is he holds all things together. Verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you know that every year, it seems like, there are new advances in in uh, the, the expanse of the galaxies and how telescopes that see further and we learn more about how incredibly huge and they wonder if our, our you know universe and galaxies are infinite right there's just more and more and every time our technology grows we discover that, that the universe goes further it goes further than he, the human mind can imagine and so we We hold that God created all of this, this this vast, incredibly huge, unknowable God, and he holds it all together. Now, at the same time, you, the smaller our microscopes get, right, telescopes to microscopes, as small as they get, we keep learning that there is a smaller thing still. There is this atom, and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and so you get to the center of, of, of humanity and, and anatomy, and there are these, it, it, as, as small as you can possibly think, and then there's a smaller thing still that God is holding our whole being and life and anatomy and every living thing together at the smallest s- cell, is too small, as too big of a thing, and the largest thing in all of, all of creation, all the galaxies, all the universe. He holds everything together at once. That is the God that we're talking about. That is the God. He holds it all together. He can hold together your crazy circumstances. He can hold together your broken family situation. He can hold together your concerns about the future. He can hold everything together. It's what he does. He sustains all of life. He keeps this universe moving and he can keep your life moving too. He can hold the things that you're not sure you can hold anymore, the stresses that overwhelm you, the things that are unknown, the things that you worry about, the cares that weigh you down. He's got it. He can hold it together on your behalf. And the last thing is, he still leads us. Verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The firstborn from among the dead simply means this. I mean, this is the gospel of Jesus, that he came, that God came, lived, died, was crucified on a cross, For us, so that we could have victory over death, was buried, rose again, resurrected. So he's the firstborn of the dead, meaning that when he raised from the dead, he took death by the throat and ended its grip on us. So that now we too will have eternal life, that we will be born again, that we will have new life because of him. He's the firstborn among the dead, so that we. Will be, we don't have to fear death ourselves, that we will have this eternal life with him. He is leading us still, the head of this church, firstborn among the dead, supreme over all things. There is nothing else. He is the ultimate deal. So Paul is writing this letter to Colossae this house church, these people that gather together faithfully that are trying to follow this Jesus. And he's saying, good, you're on the right track. You're believing the right things. Let me help you sort out the confusion, the mixture, the extra stuff that's in your head. Let's just focus on this Jesus. Here's who he is. He is the creative source of every living thing. He holds it all together. He's leading the church still. He's leading right now through his Holy Spirit in us. He continues this whole story moving. That is this Jesus. It's Jesus that is our hope. It's him who does all the only thing that we really need, and that saves our souls. He created us. He sustains us, and he is saving us today. And verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, do you know what it means to, I mean, the enemies in your mind part. Like, there is, you can probably all relate to having a situation where someone is offending or you think, you hear some, someone whispering or they're over there in the corner and you think that they are talking about you, Right? Or some situation over here and and this event happens and you think it's because someone is trying to get even with you. And then you come to find out later that it it wasn't the case. That you just kind of made that whole thing up in your head after all, right? Have you been embarrassed like that? Have you have you had that kind of a situation? We can dramatize things in our heads and think that people are thinking about us. I remember doing it. I was going through an embarrassing season and I had a couple of friends who kind of who dropped off and out of life. And so I assumed that because I was kind of focused on me and this was a hard time and I was upset at life and things weren't going well. And they seemed to be disinterested in journeying with me. I thought that they just wanted nothing to do with me anymore and that they were done and our friendship was over, right? So I, I kind of wrote them off. Like in my mind, they had become enemies. They, they were not really, but I just think they didn't care. They weren't friends anymore. That's, if that's the way they want to be, that's the way they want to be. I learned there's, there's you know, maybe some truth to that, but they also, they were going through a terrible crisis in their own life, right? They, they had this deal with their kid and they, their life was falling apart at the seams. I took their focus on themselves and their disconnection with me to mean that they didn't want to be friends anymore, that we were done, that our relationship was over. We have a tendency to assume the worst and create these negative scenarios in our minds and make other people enemies, And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes there are, you know, terrible people and they have bad agendas. But a lot of the times we invent and create stuff in our heads that's not true or it's worse than the reality that is. And perhaps for some of you, you have created some kind of reality for God that is not true. Maybe you have begun in your mind to view God as angry at you or that he's just out to get you or that he doesn't really care about you. Or that he's forgotten about you in this time and in this season. And maybe you've, you've alienated yourself from God in your mind based on things that your mind just gets going and, and thinking about that are, are, it's not real. It's not the reality. So Jesus, what he comes, he comes to reconcile our messed up minds, our messed up lives, and bring it in right relationship with God. That is what he does. It says in verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death on the cross to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. When I was in high school, I had acne. True confessions. I uh, Like 14, 15 years old, right? I, um, it, that's when it was at its peak. And it was, it was, it was the kind of acne where... I would like go into the bathroom at school and high school and I would see like how red are we today you know because it gets worse as the day goes on and I would be like how bad is this how, how because I would decide based on how red my face was if I was going to time it just right to see that girl coming out of the classroom when the bell rings or if I was going to turn hang my head and go back to my locker right and it sadly it was based a lot On the severity of acne that morning right and so I I mean I went to my mom and I said I've heard of this thing called dermatology (laughs) is there a dermatologist I can see and so we went to a dermatologist and I was the guy who had the acne medicine that you had to refrigerate so yes I had acne medicine by the milk uh, in the refrigerator that I would put on in the morning that left a little white residue right and then in the evening too Because acne stinks. I mean, it's no fun. It makes you insecure. It is a blemish that marks you and makes you feel like, I'm not who I want to be. This isn't really me. And I'm not feeling confident enough even to talk with girls or anybody for that matter because this is embarrassing. And I think that all of us can relate in some level to the blemish. And when when Jesus, when he eliminates blemish, when he creates, his death wipes out all of our worst blemishes, all of our stains, all of our sins, all the stuff that we regret, all the stuff that makes us look bad, all the stuff that we're insecure about, the things we've done that we are ashamed of, he wipes it out. And he says, when you believe in me, I do this. I justify you, I transfer you, I redeem you, and I cleanse you of all blemish, all stain. You are free from accusation. There is no accusation. No one can, the people who want to still hold something over your head, the people who want to remind you of things that you have done in the past, they have no ground to stand on because Jesus has redeemed it. He has cleansed you. He has wiped it clean. You don't have to be ashamed and embarrassed of stuff from the past. You don't have to worry about the blemishes that you carry with you. You are clean. He has saved you. He has made a way. He has eliminated all blemish and all accusation. The enemy has nothing on you anymore once you say yes to this Jesus. The source, he is the source of every good thing And he does this so that when God looks at us, he literally, he doesn't see the blemishes, he doesn't see the scars and the the bad things. He sees Jesus. That's how this works. His death gives us life. And when God looks at us now, he sees Jesus. Us, purified, redeemed, qualified, rescued, transferred, brought into the new kingdom of light, redeemed, forgiven, he created everything and holds it together. He, it's done. It's, it's him. It's he who does it. He, has, he keeps this whole world spinning. He knows the worst of the worst of the worst about you, and he still died to redeem you, that there would be nothing left for you to hang on to, nothing left for anyone to accuse you of. No matter what you have done lately or a long time ago, there is freedom in him. Everything wiped clean. That is this Jesus that we celebrate. That is who this God is. And Paul wants the church, this little church meeting in a house in Colossae, to remember that they have no more things to earn. There is nothing else for them to do that Jesus has made the way for them to be right with God. That is why he writes this book, to keep them right with God and on that track, keep them focused on this Jesus who has done all there is to do on our behalf. And then our response is so simple. Our response, he does all the things that I just listed, and then here, here, here's what we do, okay? The next verse. Continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. He does, he does everything, and then our role is just to continue in it, to continue to follow, to continue to believe, to continue to stand firm in the things that he has done for us. To follow this Jesus, to listen to this God, to believe and to trust that you are free from accusation, that you are free from blemish, and to walk with him in that. Jesus is over all things. Now you have in your, in your outline, you, in your bulletin, you have this orange card. I want you to grab it. Will you grab it? On your outline and on this orange card is a line. It says, Jesus is greater than blank. And you need to know that I know that there are hard things still in life. There are as true as it is of what Jesus has done. And as much as you believe it or want to believe it, I know that there are still issues looming. There are still struggles that, we, that you might face. There are still hard things that are coming against you. That's real. And we need to be reminded today that Jesus is greater. That he is greater than whatever you have going on. That he is greater than the, than the issue that's pressing. He is greater than the loss that you have suffered. He is greater than the failure that you have just lived out. He is greater. So I want you to take a moment and to write that on. In fact, I want, let, let's, just, let's just say it. Let's just shout out that we believe, that we are claiming that our Jesus, this God in flesh that has redeemed, transferred, saved, justified, cleaned us, is greater than all the things that we're wrestling with. Would you have the courage just to shout some of these things out? Jesus is greater than hopelessness, right? Jesus is greater than depression. What is it for you? Come on. Insecurity. Insecurity, Pride. Pride. What else? What else? Financial hardship at the same time. Me, Jesus is greater than greed, Greed. Anger. anger. God, we are trusting you that you are greater than our greatest need than our biggest weakness, than our most disastrous failure, that what you have done will not be undone, that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son, into light, into new life, that that transfer does not get undone. We now just continue. We follow you, and we want to trust you today that you are greater than the circumstances and the pain and the question marks going on in our life right now. God, will you reveal yourself to us even more now as we sit, as we listen, as we engage Engage with your spirit.